Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mic placement, but you got to talk into that part right there. No. Warning. This podcast includes content for a mature audience, including themes of violence, murder, and sexual assault. Please listen with caution and listen with headphones. Did you know monsters are real? (laughs) We have all asked our parents to walk to the corner store, begged for a little bit of change to buy candy or ice cream, alone and unsupervised. We are all guilty of this. I mean, why wouldn't we be? It's a rite of passage, a sign of independence. The first big moment of being a big kid is walking to the store and back, hearing the infamous speech. Now go straight there and straight back. Don't talk to no strangers or get nobody's car. And I want all my change back too. A moment that has happened a million times to a million people and has never ended in rape, murder, or both. It was the summer of 1984. The Midwest city of Gary, Indiana was no stranger to the sounds of black joy. Cars passed by blasting WGCI while little boys played catch and the little girls played double dutch in the middle of the street. Tamika Turks, age seven, and her aunt, Annie Hillard, who was nine, doll balls bounced to the rhythm of their own beat. The sun lightly bronzed their faces as they are coming out of the corner store. Candy in hand, big grins beaming with black girl magic, but no one would ever imagine their grins would never be as bright as that summer sun again. My auntie, I wanted bubble gum. But you can't have no bubble gum. But why? Because you always swallow. The 29-year-old Alton Coleman and 21-year-old Deborah Brown saw the girls emerge from the candy store. They were instinctively drawn to their innocence, as if the girls' magic pulled them closer. Hey. Wait up. Uh, keep walking, TT. Deborah abruptly cut the girls off while Alton approached them from behind. No. No, it's okay. We came to get y'all. Yeah, y'all mama sent us for you. Uh, but we don't know you. And my mama's not to talk to strangers. <laughs> well, see, I'm dear. That's my friend Alton. He looks scary, but don't worry. He is so nice. I am a really nice guy. I got you two brand new clothes to try on. He sure does. I was there when your mom told him y'all sizes. And they some real pretty dresses too. Look, if it makes you feel any better, 
Deb can just go. I can stay back and link with y'all later. Come on, y'all. I know a shortcut to your house. Follow me. It's right across those woods. Ew! Get away from us! Deborah escorted the wide-eyed girls through the heavily wooded area. Alton reappeared, surprisingly. <laughs> While Deborah tied them to a tree, Alton began to cut Tamika Turk's shirt with a pocket knife. Fearing for her life, Annie remained frozen in silence while the younger Tamika cried uncontrollably. They had to quiet Tamika, or they risked getting caught abducting the girls. Deborah untied Tamika, laid her down on the ground, placed her hands over her mouth and nose, but Tamika's sobs still escaped. Alton's rage quickly escalated. He began stomping Tamika's face and chest repeatedly until her small body was lifeless. Annie quickly learned that crying or screaming was not going to save her. She believed she was the next to die. She watched Alton and Deborah drag her beloved niece's body away. The couple raped Annie in the woods, only a few feet away from the body of Tamika Turks. Hoping to murder her too, Alton placed his belt around her neck and strangled her. Annie passed out into a deep sleep. Assured they were successful, Alton and Deborah left her for dead. But Annie was still alive. She woke up hours later, still in the woods still near Tamika's body. What she had hoped was a terrible nightmare, she now realized was a terrible reality. Annie searched for Deborah and Alton before she fled to the nearest street. It was not long before a resident passing by saw Annie walking alongside the road. They pulled over to help. The rips in her clothing, belt marks around her neck, and the distress over her face was alarming enough for them to contact the authorities. But by the time the police had enough information to arrest the couple, they were long gone. She had multiple contusions about her. She had a cord around her neck, and she had a footprint on her chest, and her right hand was tied with evidently a piece of her shirt. Hello. I am Eric Aaron, and welcome to the first episode of The Real Monsters. In this episode, we will discuss the life and crimes of Alton Coleman and Deborah Brown. This episode includes themes such as violence, murder, and sexual assault, which may not be suitable for listeners under the age of 13. Please listen with caution. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Deborah Brown met the older Alton Coleman in the fall of 1983. Alton was a charmer, a man that was known for his way with words. His words had a value far beyond sweet nothings. He made people feel comfortable, that he was worthy of their trust, especially women. Most black women will fall in love with a charming and handsome man, and Deborah was no different. She fell in love so much so that she left her family and fiancé for him. Their infamy began in the summer of 1984 when they went on the run for the abduction and murder of Vernita Whelan of Kenosha, Wisconsin. Many would question, how could any person murder a child? Let alone, how could a woman help a man murder an innocent nine-year-old girl? In her book, Good Girls Gone Bad, Susan Nettler found that incarcerated women fit in several categories, one being the romantic interest. Meaning, many women would team up with men and get involved in their criminal activities as a way to keep them romantically involved. They end up in prison for crimes they might not have otherwise committed. Deborah was the ride or die chick Alton needed. She was not only his girlfriend, she was his accomplice. In fact, Deborah was questioned at Alton Coleman's grandmother's apartment about his whereabouts in the case of Vernita Wheat. I'm coming. Fuck. I knew it. Sheriff's apartment, open up. Yes. Good evening, ma'am. Open the door. We have a warrant. Deborah removed the security chain and opened the door with her body planted in the entryway to block the police access into the apartment. She knew why they were there, and she knew exactly what to say. Ma'am, are you home alone? No. Big Ma's in the back room. Anyone else? No. What's this about? Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you saw Alton Coleman? We know he's supposed to be staying here. Alton ain't been around here since he came to get his clothes for court or something. Well, if he comes by here, make sure you give us a call, because it's very urgent. Mm. Okay. I'll call you if I see him. Hang tight. We, we, we may need you to come to the station with us. Well, we need to calculate it. We might need another vehicle. 
Ma'am, we'll be in touch. Thank you for your time. <sighs> Fuck. I gotta get to Alton. Deborah closed the door with a sigh of relief. Time seemed to slow as she began to think of her next move. She quickly packed a bag and grabbed her purse. With the bag in tow, Deborah rushed down the apartment stairwell. She burst through the exit doors into the alley, attempting to appear normal. Deborah tried to walk at a normal pace, but the sirens in the distance increased her paranoia. So she began a job. She felt the sirens grow louder. She couldn't shake the feeling of the police possibly closing in on her. Okay. So she broke out into a full sprint. She ran through a wooded pathway. Constantly peeping over her shoulder. The anxiety grew inside of her chest. She finally emerged out of the woods to the backside of an abandoned home where Alton hid. She climbed through the window. Baby, what are you doing here? I thought I told you to lay low. I know. I know, but the police, they came by. Wait, what? The police came by? Yeah, for that girl that we dumped in that building. But, but they found her body weeks ago. What did you say? Nothing. I didn't tell them anything. Just like you said. Good. You did good, baby. I think you need to leave. They may be following you. Here, I packed you a bag. Nah, we're in this together, remember? Listen, it's me and you. Did you pack yourself a bag? No, but I can go back. No, we'll get you what you need later. But right now, we gotta go. Will you go with me? Yes. I will go anywhere with you. And I will do anything for you. The couple went on a run, moving from one Midwestern state to another, causing chaos and mayhem. To evade the police, the couple kept various shirts and hats to change every few blocks. They befriended unwitting victims who fed and housed them. Victims described as God-fearing black people doing what the Bible asks of them, to take care of their neighbors. Virginia Temple, a 30-year-old mother of four, and Rochelle Temple, Virginia's nine-year-old daughter, were good church-going people. Virginia, like others, trusted the charm of Alton and Deborah. She did not know they were wolves in sheep clothing. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's July 4th weekend. The neighborhoods of Toledo, Ohio were alive. Fireworks were heard near and far. The bright sparks glittered the width of the sky. The smell of barbecue filled the air. The sounds of Prince, Rick James, and Earth, Wind, and Fire floated from home to home. It felt as if all of Toledo was celebrating. Reverend Ernie Jackson was celebrating as well. He had two new souls he had hoped to save this night. The couple was friendly, kind, and seemingly eager to hear the good word. He introduced the kind couple to Virginia Temple, a recently divorced servant of God with young children all heavily involved in the New Light Baptist Church. It wasn't uncommon for the Reverend to invite strangers to fellowship with his members. After all, what would Jesus do? It was not only the Christian thing to do, but the hospitable thing to do. Virginia did not think twice when the couple offered to escort her to pick up fast food and walk her home where her children were awaiting. Unfortunately for Virginia, no amount of prayer could have prepared her for the suffering she and her daughter endured. Ah, I just love this time of year, as do I. The fireworks and barbecues, (laughs) oh yes, and the 4th of July revivals. Oh man, I know all about those week-long revivals. A little too well. My big mom will pack me saltines in her purse as a snack because the reverend preached so long. <laughs> Man, those were the good old days, weren't they? Mm. You ain't never lied. You, uh, you have five kids, don't you? Yep, my heart beats. Hmm. Thank you two for walking me home. You know, it can be a bit dangerous this late in the evening. Of course. We walk and see unsavory people all the time. That's why we offered. You never know what stealers or killers are lurking around. Amen to that. Well, I'm ready if you are. I need to get home so my tribe can get ready for bed. It was the Sunday morning of July 7th, 1984. The neighborhood was eerily quiet. Virginia Temple's mother, Edith Harris, stopped by the home to pick the family up for Sunday service. When she knocked, Raymond, her six-year-old grandson, was too terrified to open the door. Edith immediately knew something was wrong. She called her sister to help try to lure the young child to the door. That was when they noticed blood on the carpet from the window. The sisters feared the worst. They decided it was time to call the police. The police called into the home. Raymond could not gather his composure to tell the police or his grandmother what had transpired. The three younger children were found in a room crying, showing signs of neglect. It soon became apparent that Virginia and Rochelle were missing. As the police went further into the home, evidence of a struggle became clear. Bloody footprints and soiled sheets painted a chilling tale of what happened to Virginia and Rochelle Temple. Alton and Deborah walked Virginia home. Virginia invited the couple in. 
she introduced her family, starting with her eldest, Rochelle. Had Virginia known her young daughter was like all the other little girls Alton and Deborah took interest in, she would have never allowed them into her home. Rochelle was black between the ages of seven and 13, prepubescent, innocent, and vulnerable. Everything that aroused the deviancy in Alton and Deborah. The other children did not meet their taste and were found unharmed. However, Virginia, she was just a vulnerable single mother, virtually powerless. A power advantage Alton and Deborah could not resist. The couple tortured the mother and daughter for two days. They viciously and repeatedly raped them, then strangled them to their death. The police searched for the bodies of Virginia and Rochelle Temple in and around the home for hours. It was not until investigators went down to the basement and saw droplets of blood leading into a crawl space. That's where they found Virginia and Rochelle stuffed and discarded. On July 7th, a 30-year-old Toledo woman and her 10-year-old daughter were found dead in the crawlway of their home. Alton and Deborah's reign of terror lasted 53 days, but stretched over half of the Midwestern states, including Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Wisconsin. They were a heinous rendition of Bonnie and Clyde. Their crimes together included eight murders, seven rapes, three kidnappings, and 14 armed robberies. Truly dangerously in love. Alton and Deborah are often thought of as the most infamous black serial killer couple in the United States. Currently, Deborah is the only woman on death row in Indiana. Her death sentence in Ohio was commuted to life because of her low IQ scores. This begs the question, was Deborah just under Coleman's control? Or is she more cunning than she let on? Coleman is thought to be traveling with Deborah Brown, a former lover. But whether she is a willing accomplice or a captive is not clear. Uh, it is a master-slave type relationship. She's been described as being willing to do anything that Alton Coleman tells her to do. Was she a woman doing what was necessary for love, even if it meant to rape and murder other black women and girls? Or is she just as sadistic in her own right? He is continuing to be very calm and very compliant, cooperating in every way, not creating any problems whatsoever over at the death house. Coleman spent his last hours visiting with spiritual advisors and his attorneys until the 8.45 cutoff time. At which time he will be offered a shower and then we will prepare him for the execution process. The execution process began just before 10. A doctor gave Coleman a shot to sedate him, a second shot to slow his heart rate. He was then transferred from a holding cell 17 steps to the death chamber. Mr. Coleman came in uh, wearing a uh, non-denominational, we're told, uh, prayer shawl. When he walked in, he seemed quite confident. It happened quite fast. And he seemed to kind of adjust his shawl and then was, did not need any kind of um, escorting onto the gurney. Coleman made a last statement, but he didn't use his own words. Instead, he quoted the 23rd Psalms. He uh, repeated, the, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, and continued with that. And then um, it seemed like his chest 
heaved. He took a couple quick breaths, maybe probably about eight or nine. And then that's kind of when he just stopped. It was no big last breath. The execution process for inmate Alton Coleman has been completed. The official time of death, 10-13. He was executed by lethal injection in the death chamber at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility. He never expressed remorse for taking his victims' lives or attacking black men, women, and girls. He simply recited Psalm 23. The case of Alton Coleman and Deborah Brown is another cautionary tale of how it is our responsibility as a community to protect our own, especially black women and black girls, even if it is from our own people. Experts believe Alton and Deborah were able to get away with so many crimes because the victims were black. In the 1980s, serial killing was a white man's sport. The police force was mainly white men who didn't grow up in or have any community relationships with the black neighborhoods they patrolled. Police had implicit bias and or prejudice to overlook black people as qualified candidates to meet a serial killer's profile. Serial killers are described as smart, resourceful, charismatic sociopaths, and that did not fit the stereotype for black men or women. How could we commit a string of murders, heinous crimes, and evade the police if we were not viewed as intelligent enough? How many cases have gone cold and or unsolved because of racist policing and crimes against black people? More specifically, against black women and black girls. This has been episode one of Real Monsters. I am your host, Eric Aaron. Please be safe and be vigilant because we are all we got and we are everything. Episode 1 stars Haley Christie as Deborah Brown, Jones as the police officer, and Maya McKenzie as Tamika and Annie. This episode was written by Derek McKinney and Liz Sims. Directed by Eric Aaron. Recording, sound design, and mix by Eric Aaron. Real Monsters is executive produced by Liz Sims and Derek McKinney. If you would like to listen to the show uninterrupted, then please become a patron. For as low as $5 a month, you can hear this show ad-free and also help us fund more episodes. Until next time, stay safe.